Welcome to the Forensic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Fiona Tuck. I'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years. The Forensic Nutritionist Podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition, gut health and skin, using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust. We are all unique. The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. On the podcast today, we have Chloe McLeod. Now, Chloe is an accredited practicing dietitian. She's also a qualified sports dietitian. She's the co-owner of the Nutrition Consultancy Health and Performance Collective. And she also founded the online nutrition program, The FODMAP Challenge. Now, Chloe does specialize in food intolerances. And today we're going to be focusing on FODMAP and Chloe, welcome. Let us know a little bit more about the FODMAP diet and what got you interested in that. For sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me today, Fiona. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I guess I first got involved in working with people with gut issues and with FODMAPs when, after I first graduated my workplace I was working for asked if I'd be interested in going and doing some further professional development in the area. Great. I of course said yes and um, went and did that down in Melbourne and that was the, the training that Monash was doing at that time um, for FODMAP education and then it's been all around keeping up to date with the current research as that's coming out and there's so many papers coming out. It's, um, Absolutely. it's a really exciting area. I think the whole world of nutrition is every day almost. There seems to be new studies and new research and, and new information. The FODMAP um, diet, if you like, is something that I, I personally see really growing as a trend. And we're hearing more and more people that are avoiding FODMAPs or doing the FODMAP diet. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what that is, what is, what actually are FODMAPs? Yep, so um, FODMAPs is an acronym. So yep. it stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Which is why we use it as an acronym. It is why we use it as an acronym, <laughs> exactly. And um, these are different types of carbohydrates that either malabsorb or for, end up fermenting significantly in your gut, and they can then generate symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome. So this includes things like diarrhea, constipation, yeah. um, bloating, wind, abdominal pain is the most common symptoms people experience. And so with um, FODMAPs, who, who would actually benefit from trying a low FODMAP diet? Is it really somebody that would have been suffering for quite a while with something like IBS? Yes, most definitely. And I think it's it's really important to mention and to sort of go back to what yep. you were saying before around it. It is becoming a little bit of a trend. So um, looking at the statistics in Australia, around 10 to 20% of the Australian population has irritable bowel syndrome. Right. And it's been shown that following a low FODMAP diet can help with management of those symptoms. However, it's not about removing FODMAPs yep. and never eating them again. It's about going on this low, low FODMAP diet working through a series of challenges with the different types of FODMAPs so you can determine which ones that you're sensitive to 
and then reintroducing them back into your diet in varying amounts. So the ones that you're not sensitive to at all, reintroduce them fully and then the ones that you are sensitive to, slowly reintroduce them in small amounts and, and everybody should be able to tolerate a small amount of even the ones that they are sensitive to. And I think it's really important and I really wanna highlight that including them back into your diet again in small amounts will actually help you more long-term, even if that does cause a little bit of discomfort in the shorter term. I think that's a, a really great point. And then I think let's go back and dissect it a little, little bit more because I do see people becoming a little bit obsessed about FODMAP. And I don't mm -hmm. know if that is because we're seeing a lot of that now online we're seeing a lot of it on instagram and people are avoiding fodmaps or maybe they do have digestive issues and they've been told to cut out certain fodmaps and then they almost become scared to reintroduce them because they can have such um, debilitating gut symptoms and, and yeah. they're scared to reintroduce them a hundred percent and and i say that all the time myself as well is that there's this such big fear of reintroducing these foods back in because of the, the discomfort and the pain that it can cause, which I completely appreciate. You know, no one wants to be in pain, no one wants to be feeling that. But that's where we need to take a very um, systematic approach and individualized approach of reintroducing small amounts back in at a time so that we're making sure that the, the individual doesn't end up um, with further I guess dysbiosis and, and further gut symptoms down the track as well. So that's a, a really good point when it comes to say FODMAP sensitivity do we know what's actually causing that is is it something that can be brought on is it actually a sensitivity that somebody always has or can it be something that is brought on by gut dysbiosis or you know increased gut permeability which makes them more reactive to the FODMAPs? So that's a, that's a very big question. <laughs> so I guess there's a, there's a few things to, to take from, mm. from that and to talk about. So the exact causes of irritable bowel syndrome are unknown. Yep. Um, we do know that with IBS, most, most of the time it will be triggered as a result of some form of an event. So for example, um, maybe catching some form of um, gastrointestinal yep. bug and that can then trigger post-infectious irritable bowel. Yep. Um, maybe it's actually as a result of a highly stressful life event. So, um, you know, maybe there's been a, a marriage breakup or maybe there's been, you know, HSC or yep. something like that, something which has triggered a high level of stress for that individual. And which we know can alter the gut bacteria. Exactly right. Yep. And so that then seems to sometimes be a trigger. Yeah. Sometimes we don't actually necessarily know the exact trigger, but what it is looking like is it does come down to a change in the bacteria which are present in the microbiome. And then right. that seems to then be um, assisting with triggering the symptoms, but we don't actually know yes. exactly yep. what the mechanisms are there. That, that all makes complete sense to me. And I mean, there's, there's so much more research coming yeah. out about gut health and the prominent role that the gut bacteria play and how it can change and exactly. throw everything out of whack. Yeah, even to add into that, um, there's been some really interesting research come out um, around physical activity and yes. doing endurance type exercise and the impact that can have on gastrointestinal symptoms. And I was down in Melbourne last week at a course about this and 
um, basically just just to give a, a very quick overview mm. of that um, it's been shown that um, acutely reducing FODMAP intake for 24 hours before say a marathon if you're if you've got a client who ends up getting diarrhea or gastrointestinal symptoms which is runner's um, gut runner's yep. gut exactly right so if you've got a client like that reducing FODMAP intake for 24 hours beforehand in a lot of cases can actually help with um, completely eliminating those symptoms even if that person has no problems with FODMAPs at any other time so then we need to look right. at the environmental impact but we the also temperature we also know though that regular or moderate exercise actually is beneficial for the gut bacteria. 100%. Yep. Yeah. So it's about striking that yep. balance for yourself and then finding management strategies, but then also making sure that you're not going, oh, well, when I run, yes. I feel better being low FODMAP, so I'm going to be low FODMAP yep. entirely. It's 100% not, not what we should be doing. And it comes back really, doesn't it, to balance. When we do anything extreme, it's, it's not going to be good for us. So. Exactly. Balance and moderation, and as we always say on this podcast, it may sound boring, but it, it's it's the way to go. <laughs> so coming back, let's get right back to the beginning with FODMAPs. For anyone that is listening that's not entirely sure what we mean by that, I know you explain what it is, but can you give an, ex an example of the foods that we would find FODMAPs in? For sure. So um, to give an example, um, the D in FODMAP stands for disaccharide, yes. and a disaccharide is one of the types of carbohydrates and um, in this instance it's lactose so yep. lactose is the sugar which is found in dairy products like milk and yogurt and ice cream um, which is why some people say that they're lactose intolerant exactly yep. yes so and lactose is does fit under that FODMAP umbrella now what happens if you're sensitive to lactose or to the disaccharides is there either isn't enough of the enzyme to break down the lactose um, or it doesn't end up absorbing properly in the gut and then that can then trigger the IBS symptoms. So in most cases, this will usually be bloating and diarrhea and wind. And um, some people get other symptoms as well, but that'd be the most common ones with that particular FODMAP. Right, and what about some of the other FODMAPs? Yeah, so some of the other um, FOD, like high FODMAP yep. foods. So if we look at the, the O, so the oligosaccharides, that um, encompasses the um, galacto-oligosaccharides and the fructans. So galacto-oligosaccharides include things like chickpeas, lentils, black beans, and, and the other foods in the legume family. Um, the fructans in, in includes, sorry, mixing up my words there. Um, the fructans includes things like onions, garlic, wheat, and then there's certain fr fruit fructans as well, which are found in things like grapefruits and pomegranates. Now, again, um, these foods... So this is beginning to sound like everything is got FODMAP or has got some <laughs> form of FODMAPs in. Well, it's, it's fascinating when you look at the amount yeah. of foods that contain FODMAPs to some degree. And I think that's when it becomes really important again to come back exactly. and go, we don't have to remove these foods 100% long term. It's about removal for a short period, work out which ones are triggers and then reintroducing back in. And I think... The reintroducing back in is the part that people often forget yeah. about because they'll get used to not having the food or they're like, I don't want to have those symptoms again. So they just eliminate it long term and that's what we want to avoid. And also I think that with um, a lot of perhaps people that aren't fully understanding FODMAPs, they may see or read about FODMAPs and think, okay, that, that's FODMAP and I can't have it. But it might not be that particular um, FODMAP, if you like, that they're actually reacting to. So there exactly. are different ones and 
for instance, you may be lactose intolerant, but you can tolerate legumes, for instance. Exactly. And I mean, if, even if we look at the fructan group as an example, with working with clients moving through the process, I do a separate challenge for onion, garlic, wheat and the fruit fruit fructans because sometimes people yeah they will react to all four but sometimes it might just be one or two of yep. them and they're still in the same family yep. so it is really important to um to drill right down into it to determine which ones are triggers for you so that you're not eliminating foods I, unnecessarily I think so and i mean i'm a classic example wheat i actually get quite a strong reaction to yeah. But I'm fine with garlic, onions, um, pretty much everything else. It just seems to be yeah. wheat for some really weird reason. Yep. Um, and then saying that, I think also when it comes to things like gluten, you know, a, a lot of gluten foods can be FODMAP foods. Yes. And some people that say they're intolerant to gluten or can't eat gluten, it could even be that it's not actually the gluten, but it's the FODMAP. That's exactly correct. So um, there was a really interesting study that, that I think it came out of Monash Uni as well that showed that people thinking that they had yeah. non-celiac gluten sensitivity, it was actually determined that they were wheat sensitive rather than gluten sensitive. Yeah. So the gluten is the protein which is found in the wheat, whereas the, the wheat itself contains the wheat fructan. And that was what was triggering yeah. the symptoms rather than that yeah. gluten protein. And they, they tested the gluten, didn't they? And yes. people didn't react to yes. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I found that actually fascinating, that study. It's and a great I, study. I think it's a real eye-opener for a lot of people because we kind of live in a society where it is all about extremism and then people will get fixated on, I can't ever have gluten, I mustn't eat gluten, or I can't have any FODMAPs. And we're getting this imbalance. And I think one of the things with the FODMAP diet, it can be so beneficial for people with those debilitating IBS symptoms. And I've had people say to me, you know, FODMAPs changed my life. Yeah. But then, as you've said, they can be quite hesitant to then start to reintroduce yeah. them. Which, which, as I said, is so understandable. And I, I really empathise that, you know, of course, you don't want to be eating a lot of the foods which are triggering symptoms for you and resulting in a really reduced quality of life. Um, you know, the amount of people who are like, I can't leave the house and... Um, mm. you know not able to go to work not able to perform how they want to be day to day because of consuming too many FODMAPs and then when that all changes when they take them out of their diet of course they don't want to add them back in and completely understand that but it's not about removing all of them long term it really is important to add them back in because adding this variety back in if we come back to just the general gut health principles we know that having mm. that variety of plant foods in our diet helps to promote more of a diverse microbiome through having more different bacteria present in our gut of these healthy bacteria which are what produce those short chain fatty acids which are exactly what our gut needs and our body needs so removing all of these different things makes it so much harder to get that variety in. I, I think it's important to note as well in a way that the FODMAP diet is going to help to alleviate symptoms, find out what people are reacting to, but it's not a cure. Exactly, yes. So it's um, the diet itself was never supposed to be uh, a long-term, mm. this is what you do, see you later it was always supposed to be a diagnostic tool and part of an overall treatment management plan 
And I think that's where maybe there can be misinformation in the media and online regarding that because I guess as a nutritionist, where we can then become a little bit concerned is just as you were saying, it's so important for our gut health and gut bacteria and to get that gut bacteria in the right balance by consuming those prebiotic foods. Exactly. Which are really those, you know, the plant-based foods and the fiber foods, but they are the FODMAP foods. Exactly. So many of the prebiotic foods are rich in FODMAPs as well. So um, there are some low FODMAP prebiotic foods, but majority of them are high FODMAP foods. So, you know, we're talking about chickpeas quite a bit, but, Mm. you know, the perfect example of a higher FODMAP food, but one that is a wonderful source of prebiotic fibre. Absolutely. So when it comes to, say, somebody that has got IBS symptoms and and they're really struggling, what is the process when following a a low FODMAP diet? So, for instance, I know you run the FODMAP challenge. Yes. Um, How do people know who to go to and who to get advice from? because there is a lot of misinformation out there and it's important, I feel, that if somebody is going to be following the FODMAP diet, that they're doing it with a qualified professional. Yeah, I completely agree. So it's targeted for people who have irritable bowel syndrome, who have worked out that it's food related and then they need to start to figure out what their triggers are. And the reason that I started to to run the FODMAP challenge was because I noticed that there was so much misinformation yes. online and also unfortunately not everybody has the the access to a dietitian who has the the experience in the area whether that's from a financial or from a geographical perspective and so I thought let's create something which is going to provide the information that these people require so that they're able to um, work through the process without it then causing a, a huge impact in their life from a, either having to get to see a dietitian or from a that financial perspective so just I guess it sort of fits in with part of what I think is important as a health should be available absolutely to everybody absolutely so if somebody was going to be following a low fat FODMAP diet how long would your program be for instance yeah so it's divided into into parts so the first four weeks is the elimination phase where we remove the FODMAPs from the diet. Now, I'm sorry, just to interrupt, interrupt you there. When you say you remove the FODMAPs, are you talking about high FODMAPs or all FODMAPs? So remove the high FODMAP yep. foods from the diet. To, to remove all of the FODMAPs yeah. is probably going to be <laughs> pretty impossible. But they can um, eat. <laughs> they can still eat. Um, but it's all about um, removing the, the foods which are, are most likely yep. to be the trigger foods from the diet. And some people will find that two weeks of this elimination phase is long enough so within the program there's actually the function to skip forward if right. need be because if they don't need to be doing the whole four yes. weeks well let's shorten the, the so process some people as will much know as what possible. their triggers are pretty quickly yeah, yeah and also um some people will have like sign up to the program having already done the elimination right and i don't want them to then yeah. have to already like to keep like do another four weeks so they can skip forward to then getting started with the challenges. Now the challenges end up, um, if you do all of them, they'll end up taking 10 weeks because there's 10 different challenges. Now, again, if you already know you're say sensitive to lactose, then skip forward and don't do that challenge. Or if you've got celiac disease, then there's, of course, you won't do the weight challenge. So again, you would skip forward over that one. So you can shorten the process to some degree, but also 
it is important to work through it systematically um, so that you're doing it properly. And sometimes as well, I guess I should also mention life is going to come up yes. and, you know, maybe there's a wedding on the weekend or it's your birthday and you don't want to have to worry about it. Well, then take a pause and eat some high FODMAP food for your birthday. You know, maybe you want to have your favorite cake or whatever it might be and then get back into it again the following week. Let things settle down and then continue to move forward with the challenges because it is a long time and to put everything else on hold, like that's the last thing that I encourage clients mm. to do. It's if we need to do small amounts at a time, then I think that is a good idea. That said, continuing that systematic approach so that you come out of it going, okay, well, I know that I'm sensitive to X, Y, and Z and this this is now going to mean that I can introduce all of these other foods back into my diet again and then I'm going to start trying small amounts of these things that I was sensitive to so I can work out where my threshold is so I can have yeah. them but not have them to the point that they are causing those debilitating symptoms that were being triggered in the past. And I think that's a really good point because I think there is kind of a threshold, isn't there, that um, yeah. I mean I know with the, the Vitasol products that we have, we say we're FODMAP friendly, it doesn't mean to say we have zero FODMAPs, yeah. but it's the amount in there that is tolerable for, for that's people exactly with right. issues. And so because it's not there in the dose that's going to cause a, a symptom, then it is FODMAP friendly. It is important to consider FODMAP stacking where there might be small amounts of a whole heap of different yes. things. But again, from, from my understanding with the, the Vitasol products, it's just a small amount that's there and it's not going to have very big contribution to that stacking process. And um, everyone's different, of course, as that's well. Exactly and, right. and different gut issues and they can have other things going on as well. But yeah. um, I think with the FODMAP, you know, a teaspoon of chickpeas is going to be very different to eating Completely. the whole thing. Exactly. And um, from a, a long-term approach, having a teaspoon of chickpeas, if that's all you can tolerate, well, then that's what I would recommend that you do so that you are getting that prebiotic fiber, you are getting that variety of the plant into your diet. And hopefully over time, you might actually find that as your microbiome changes, maybe you can mm. have two teaspoons of chickpeas and then over time, maybe you can, can tolerate and I have, I have seen that happen. Same. I have seen it's that amazing. happen where people are like, nope, can't eat it. And then as they're gradually having really, really tiny amounts and gradually reintroducing it, and then they're actually helping to feed their own gut bacteria. And as you said, with the short-chain fatty acids, which we know can help with reducing inflammation and mm. inflammatory conditions, they're actually starting to improve and, and really see long-term benefits. That's exactly right. And... I mean, I see, I have so many people come in who they are so fearful of eating so many different things and that it's like taking over their lives yes. and it's actually still not helping their symptoms because there's such a high level of stress because mm. they're so stressed that they can't eat and then they're stressed that they're getting symptoms and everything's causing this um, plethora of problems and, then, and we also even know now about the connection with the gut and the anxiety and then the 100%. whole mood connection yeah. so it, so more stress is going to create more gut issues and then if we're not fixing the gut that can create more stress and more mood issues as well so it's exactly it's catch 22 it is a catch 22 and i think um giving giving yourself that break of going you know what let's let's take onion as an example Let's say onion is a really key trigger for you and 
it's like I just do better not having onion. Yeah. But what about if you chop it up into big chunks and cook it in, let's say it's a pasta sauce or a stir fry, and then you still pick out those chunks but and don't eat them, but there'll be a small amount yeah. of that onion cooked and that's gone into the food. First of all, that, that having that very small amount will start to help to give that exposure to those types of um, those prebiotic fibres. And then over time, maybe you can have one bit of that onion without really noticing any symptoms. And then over time, maybe you can have a few bits without noticing the symptoms. So, And this is a long-term thing. It's mm. not going to happen in the space of a couple of weeks. It's going to take months that's, for that to that's happen. fabulous advice. And when, it, when we're talking about cooking food, does the cooking process affect how people react to FODMAPs? Yeah, so um, to, to use onion as another example, if you use like onion-infused olive oil, then the, the onion fructans don't go into the olive oil, so you'd still be able to have that flavour from of the onion without any of the onion fructans causing a problem. And you can get that now, can't you? You can you get can. The, the garlic and the onion Yeah, flavors. exactly. Um, but then if you're cooking the, the onion in the food, a small amount will come yeah. out into the meal. Um, if you're cooking it separately, then obviously it's all going to stay within the onion there, which is what I know some of my clients do when they're doing challenges. Um, just depends on how they want to yeah, make things work. That's great. And so um, I think as well, like looking at the, the type of food as well. So say a Greek yogurt that has a lot less of the lactose in it than, um, than say a, a glass of milk does. And that's due to the bacteria in the yogurt eating a lot of the lactose and fermenting it as part of the process with the yogurt. And fermented dairy in general, you know, kefir and things yeah. like that would be... Exactly the same, a, yeah. And, you know, we know how wonderful those things yes. are for our gastrointestinal health as well. So we've spoken a bit about high FODMAP. What would be some sort of safe for low FODMAP options, just so people sort of get an idea of what is a high FODMAP, low FODMAP? Yeah, for sure. So some of my favourite low FODMAP foods and... Um, I'm uh, sort of thinking prebiotic foods in particular because of what yes. we've been talking about. So um, brown rice, um, potato, and if you cook and cool it down, it actually develops more resistant starch. So again, that's a prebiotic. So that cooking and cooling process, you know when you cook potato or cook pasta and there's that sort of yes. gluggy thing? Yeah, so that's the resistant starch portion. And that's what's good um, for our gut. Exactly, so make sure it doesn't get thrown out. Mix it back in, everybody who's listening. Um, then the um, just ripe bananas are fantastic as well. So green banana flour itself is um, very um, very rich in prebiotics. But if you have a just ripe banana, um, that's low FODMAP and is a really great source of the prebiotic fibre as well. Um, other Looking at more other low FODMAP foods in general that I really love encouraging people to eat are things like berries, pineapple, um, zucchini up to 65 grams I think it is um, green beans um, small amounts of things like celery as well because of the different types of fibers that these all contain um, yes with all of these things if you have too much yes. they end up being high FODMAP but in smaller appropriate portions they're completely okay to have and just to clarify you know when we're talking about the FODMAPs What's interesting is foods that you may think are high FODMAP can be low FODMAP and low FODMAP can be high. Like there's no way of really yeah. knowing unless you're sort of guided professionally. Well, a good example of this, I think, is broccoli. So there's a, 
quite marked difference between the amount of FODMAPs that are found in a broccoli stalk versus in the broccoli florets. Mm. So um, if you're having um, broccoli and having all the stalk and none of the florets, you're probably... Your, your intake of FODMAPs is significantly higher than if you're having a combination or if you're only having the florets from the top. So, and that's just in one food. Um, and a lot of people don't eat the stalks either. Yeah, we, but they're such a good source of nutrition. Yeah, yeah always should be added. <laughs> <laughs> um, another good example, I think, is coconut. So coconut yogurt, as an example, is low FODMAP. Desiccated coconut, um, depending on portion size, can end up being very high FODMAP. Same with coconut water. Um, coconut oil is low FODMAP as well. So they're just, again, products that are all coming from the same food with very different um, levels of FODMAPs in them. And it comes down to the processing and what part mm. of that plant is being left. But I think that's part of where some of the confusion can come from because it's not just a coconut is okay or it's not okay it's like well what what form is it coming in absolutely and i think you know that's why it is so important to get that professional guidance and i think the real key message from today is just because you are in that elimination phase doesn't mean to say that's a permanent elimination 100 percent. and potentially if you completely eliminate all fodmaps long term you you could actually be causing potential further issues with with the gut exactly right because you're missing out on so many of these prebiotic fibers and having that lack of diversity of the plants in your diet it makes it harder for your gut to to function optimally so yes we want to eliminate for a short period to alleviate the symptoms to help us to work out part of where the symptoms are coming from but uh, as i said before it was never like a low fodmap diet was never supposed to be a long-term this is what you stick to. It's like it's no Mediterranean diet, no. as an example. Like that would be an example of something which would be highly encouraged yes. to be stuck to as a long-term diet. Yes. Um, lifestyle. <laughs> lifestyle, exactly. Um, whereas the FODMAP diet is a diagnostic tool to help us to determine something that's happening so that we can then manage that the best way possible. So it's part of an overall management plan rather than a Fantastic. Thing on I'm so own. glad you cleared that up because I do even see on Instagram people you know, living the FODMAP free life and, and all these kinds of yeah. things and it, it does, I guess, concern the, the professionals when we're sort of having conflicting messages. Yeah, so. it's, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up actually as well because um, even on the FODMAP Challenge Instagram page, I put up a post about um, prebiotic sources um, like lower FODMAP options of prebiotic foods and all of them if you have a lot of them they are high FODMAP which you know comes back to what we're talking about before but I got so many negative comments on that post from people saying how can you be promoting people eat these things I was like I I was I was actually really shocked at the responses I was getting and because it's not about removing these things long term it's about working out what your tolerant individual tolerance is and also highlighting the importance of having these things back in your diet as well absolutely now i've seen it as well and i think i was saying something in the media recently about you know it, it's um not a diet to follow for a weight loss or a flat tummy diet which has been promoted in oh. like hollywood media and you yeah. know hollywood um stars i can't remember whether 
Rhiannon or Beyonce or who it was, but someone was promoting it for the flat belly, quick, you know, diet. And I was saying, you know, it's not that to follow as a a fad diet. But again, you know, all these people that had been struggling with IBS were very, you know, this is a really serious diet and um, don't put the diet down, which wasn't at all what I was doing. It was more about this is a diet that is, in a way, a medically proven diet, an yeah. elimination diet to help relieve the symptoms, but under supervised professional guidance to help reintroduce those foods where possible yeah. back in the diet to help with long-term gut health. Exactly right. And, um, you know, great that it's getting airtime so that people are learning about it yes but not great when it's being done in yes. a way that is misleading and unhelpful and it's a hundred percent not a weight loss diet and again i think some people think oh well it's restricting things so that's going to help me to lose weight which yeah it probably will but mm. not in a healthy way mm. and it's that's it's not going to be doing good for you long term and even you know something we haven't mentioned yet is if say you're following a low FODMAP diet and if that's meaning that the rest of the family is then as well that's also not a good thing yeah so yeah you might all have dinner together and maybe dinner's low FODMAP for everyone just to make life easier but it's also very important that the rest of the family is getting high FODMAP foods in at other times in the day or they're having high FODMAP foods added into that dinner meal as well so that it's not as though suddenly the whole family's gone low FODMAP because of the, again, the changes to the microbiome yep. that can happen. Absolutely. I think that's, and you know, I, I see parents as well thinking dairy is bad and then the children have to go off dairy. And I, I think it's important if you're going to cut out any food groups, you need professional guidance and advice Agreed. before doing that. Completely. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, quite often it's cutting things out willy-nilly for for lack of a better way to describe it and sometimes that can actually make it harder to figure out what's happening because it's like well these things are being taken out these things are being taken out like has it actually improved anything or not and then comes back to that anxiety we were talking about before of not wanting to add things back in and it can end up being a little bit of a mess sometimes I think. Absolutely but I think if anyone knows about the FODMAP diet it is you which is (laughs) is why I was so very very keen to talk to you today and to clear some of the um, I guess myths about the FODMAP diet up and get some some clarity around how to do it properly and effectively so chloe thank you so much for today how how can people contact you if they are wanting to learn more about the fodmap diet or wanting some more professional advice in general when it comes to diet yeah for sure so um you can jump on instagram um would be probably the the quickest way so um the fodmap challenge is well the fodmap challenge um or i am chloe underscore mcleod underscore dietitian um, or there's the FODMAP Challenge website, which is fodmapchallenge.com, or my own website, which is myname.com. So, and I think yeah. I've actually even got a link on my website to your FODMAP Challenge yeah. if people Google. I believe FODMAP. it's a 10% discount as well, is included there still for you. So, <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. And anything exciting? I know you're very, very busy, but any new exciting projects that you're working um, on? So, with, with my other business with Jess, um, Health and Performance Collective, who I know that 
um, there's there's a podcast coming out um, with her soon yes. as well. Sports and nutrition. Yes. Yeah. Um, so with Health and Performance Collective, we've got quite a few things in the works there, which is really exciting, and um, always lots of things in the in the works behind the scenes. So I'm looking forward to sharing stuff. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you for today. And if anybody is interested in learning more about the FODMAP diet, please go to Chloe's website to to find out more. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.